The scripture this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody, and uh, happy Independence Day. It is Independence Day weekend, of course, and uh, so I hope everyone is going to have uh, a good time with that. But uh, today it's Sunday, and uh, we are continuing in our worship or sermon series, I should say, uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, today we're going to consider these uh, two parables primarily, uh, sort of briefly, but uh, hopefully with some encouragement. I think this is uh, uh, two very encouraging parables, and that's going to be the focus. Uh, We're going to try to give it anyway today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you give us your word, that you give it to us and uh, you use it in our lives to tell us about yourself, uh, to show us the way to live and to find joy and peace and happiness that comes from you and from living in your kingdom that we've been talking about in the last many weeks. So, Lord, as you promised that uh, your word is a light to our path, would you lighten our paths and lighten our hearts today as we consider it this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, we're going through the uh, Gospel of Mark, and um, but today is, uh, not today, but this weekend is part of the July 4th weekend, and uh, this is when we celebrate our Independence Day. It is when the uh, 13 colonies way back uh, when declared our independence from King George of England, and uh, the representatives of the Continental Congress came together, wrote the Declaration of Independence, of course, and part of it which said, uh, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America... And uh, by the way, that's not a typo. Uh, the U is small. They didn't consider that a title of any country or anything yet. We were simply united. So they put it that way. Anyhow, uh, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled do solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states. Now, of course, stating that we are independent and actually being independent are two different things. <laughs> uh, so we were uh, involved in a rebellion, uh, the revolution as we call it, uh, for several years. It was fought up and down uh, the eastern seaboard and uh, finally reached its culmination uh, when the British were defeated at the Battle of Yorktown in Virginia when the British Army surrendered to General Washington. 
Now, as a nation, we celebrate days like Independence Day to remind ourselves of who we are as Americans, to remind ourselves of where we came from and what we stand for and such things. As Christians, we do something similar. As Christians, we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sundays. We come together like this once a week, and similarly, we do it to remind ourselves of certain things, of who we are as Christians, uh, who we are as citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, God who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, oddly enough, these two celebrations are almost the opposite of each other if you think about it. Now, on Independence Day, we celebrate our independence from a king, right? But on Sundays, and really every day, right, as Christians, uh, every day we celebrate our happy dependence on the king of kings. As Americans, we celebrate the beginning of a rebellion against tyranny, and as Christians, we celebrate every day the ongoing and ultimate defeat of a rebellion that is tyranny. Uh, We can turn to uh, a Brit, of all things, to get a little help on this, a Brit named C.S. Lewis, and he said this, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, Satan, of course, and all the demons, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. Christianity says this universe is at war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. In my view, the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark basically is telling the story of this landing, as uh, Lewis put it, sta- starting almost immediately with the baptism of Christ, which, uh, uh, at least in my opinion, would be taken as his anointing as king. Uh, we've been talking all along that the first uh, half of the book, the first eight chapters, really focus on Jesus Christ and who he is as the king. And uh, it starts right off, basically, with that, declaring him as the king at his baptism. And then it goes on to show his initial defeat, at least, of that dark power that Lewis was mentioning as he goes out into the wilderness and withstands the temptations that Satan lays before him. As Peter summarized so well last week, uh, the first few chapters of this uh, book already, we've seen Jesus uh, uh, go through account after account of casting out demons and healing people and calling everyone to follow him for the kingdom of God was at hand. This is the story that Mark is telling us about the kingdom. And in our passage today, we have two parables that particularly tell us what the kingdom of God is like. And I think they're very encouraging. And again, that's my main hope in this passage, uh, looking at this passage, is that you would be encouraged. Uh, But the first of which of uh, these parables is found in verses 26 to 29. And uh, basically what this parable is telling us on the surface of things is that a man plants seeds, seeds of grain, and these seeds grow all on their own. They grow in ways that we don't understand how necessarily. What is it about a seed that you put it in dirt and it starts growing this plant? It doesn't look anything like a seed. Anyhow, the grain grows all the way to fruition and harvest. Uh, No disease, no drought, no plague of locusts are going to stop this plant that uh, is being talked about here. So that's the first parable Jesus tells, uh, basically, uh, in summary. The second one goes like this. He talks about a mustard seed and how tiny this seed is. Uh, 
but that when you plant it, it turns into this tree that's the largest of the garden plants, the mustard tree of that time. And it grows to be so large that birds of all kinds come and uh, are able to perch in its branches and rest in the shade of that tree. Again, on the surface, that's what both of these parables are saying. Uh, Straightforward enough, but of course, Jesus isn't giving us lessons in horticulture here. He's talking about his kingdom. What is it that all this is saying about his kingdom? And I think it could be summed up pretty easily like this. Jesus is saying that I am a king. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and I am the king of that kingdom. My kingdom is going to grow. It will grow in ways that you won't always understand, because the Spirit's behind it, really, is what he's getting at there. But my kingdom is also everlasting. It will grow all the way to fruition, all the way to the end of time. And my kingdom will spread throughout the whole world. It will be so large. So that's what uh, Jesus is saying, uh, and that's what he means. That's the meaning behind these two parables about the kingdom. And all I can say is, Humanly speaking, say if a bystander, an innocent bystander was there listening to all this, uh, humanly speaking, his summary would be just one word, the word ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Can Doug Falls really be saying that about what Jesus said? Yes. Humanly speaking, innocent bystander just happened to be there and heard Jesus say all this. He'd say, are you kidding? This is ridiculous. How can I say that? Well, think about it. What would this bystander be hearing? That this guy, Jesus, is saying he's a king. Don't see no crown. Don't see no purple robe. Where's your throne if you're a king? None of that. Okay, you're a king, huh? He says, yeah, and his kingdom will grow. Well, I should hope so. There's only 12 in it at the moment. There's only 12 people there. It's going to grow in ways you won't understand at all, if at all, and I bet I won't understand it if it does grow at all. And everlasting, huh? Well, we'll see. Uh, We'll see once uh, Herod and Pilate find out that there's a king within their borders. Yeah, we'll see how everlasting that is. No wonder his family said he's lost his mind. Remember back in chapter 3, we saw the passage where his family actually came to take him. You can't help but wonder if they had the paddy wagon outside. They were going to take him, and they literally said he's out of his mind. In the very next verse, the teachers of the law are saying that he must be possessed by demons. No wonder. Humanly speaking, you look at that, and how, how can he say this? It doesn't seem real. And even from our perspective today, Jesus' kingdom should have had no chance at all, humanly speaking. Here's an obscure rabbi from a no-account town. Even Nathaniel, remember, uh, early in the book of John said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, this was Nowheresville that this guy was from in the first place. In the second place, consider the country he was from. You wouldn't find Israel on any of the travel guides in the Roman Empire. Nobody went to Israel for a vacation back then. He'll soon die, splayed out naked on a cross. He never wrote anything, and even once he died, there was only about 120 supposed followers of his who were hiding, cowering behind closed, locked doors in Jerusalem. How would this have any chance of doing anything? So, consider the audacity of Jesus that he would say this. Consider the moxie of Jesus that he would say something this bold when there's so little around him that would back up what he's saying. What he said was audacious to the max. 
And we're so used to what we see today that we can't really grasp how audacious it was, but he had incredible audacity to make these kinds of claims. That's why people reacted the way they did back then. But, and here's where the encouragement I hope comes in, but as of today, 20 centuries later, Jesus' astounding, almost braggadocious words have come to be not ridiculous, but reality. It's really happened. It's almost as if these were prophecies. We don't normally think of these as prophecies, but really, in a sense, they were. By any measure today, more people follow Jesus Christ than any other belief system of any sort in the world. It went from that little dozen to start with to two billion. It's estimated that there's two billion people on the planet today that in one way or another consider themselves to be followers of Christ. I wish I could have graphed that out, but, you know, 20 compared to 2 billion, it just doesn't work. So I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Um, but so Jesus' kingdom had that mustard seed start, but it truly has become the largest of all the garden plants, if you will. It has gone from 12 plus 1, Jesus, I guess, uh, to 2 billion. It is indeed the biggest thing happening in the world today. Not that the news would tell you that, right? More on that later. Furthermore, from that moment when the kingdom of God was found essentially only in a tiny corner of the Mediterranean Sea, that little speck called Israel, it is now spread to where it is everywhere on the globe. Uh, We have people in our own church even on the exact opposite end of the globe today in India. More on that later, too. Um. And not only are there people everywhere that claim to be followers of Christ, but it is growing. Again, contrary to what you hear on the news, the church of Jesus Christ is growing, uh, at least in some parts of the world, and it's growing like crazy. Now, um, we used to think of America kind of as the center of Christianity, but now it's far more influential, really, in various countries in Africa, various countries in South America, South Korea. Now, we hear about North Korea all the time in the news, but rarely about South Korea. Two-thirds of the country, from what I understand, are Christian. And even better, about a third of them are Presbyterians. So, but it really is true. Uh, It's been incredible to see what's happened there. Uh, But Revelation promises us, uh, and we see at the end there, that there will be people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, celebrating how we have been saved by Christ. So Jesus says not only that he's going to have the biggest game in town, so to speak, and that it's going to be found everywhere, but uh, that it's going to last forever. It is going to last forever. Now think about that. We've had 2,000 years to see whether what he said is going to be true. So far, it's looking pretty good uh, after 2,000 years. But you'll hear what you're hearing is how Christianity is about to die out, right? It's about to die out and crawl away, go away forever. But you know, people have been saying that since the Roman emperors. Roman emperors thought that they were going to stamp out Christianity and gave it a good go. Uh, Voltaire, uh, the great French skeptic of the 1700s, he predicted that Christianity would be extinct within 100 years of his death. Well, I'm here to tell you that while Voltaire is extinct, Christianity is not. It's doing quite well, actually. The latest example of this would be a book by a guy named Sam Harris called The End of Faith. 
Uh, he's predicting that uh, truly faith in Christ particularly is going to end soon. Well, they've all been wrong for 2,000 years so far. I'm saying the safe money is on Jesus, okay? So go with that. Uh, all through the scriptures, it's promised that his kingdom will never end. Now, with all that being true, though, I don't know about you, but I can get very discouraged sometimes when I look around at what's going on in the world. I uh, don't know if I'm the only one there, but I can get very discouraged about how things are going on here in our country, particularly. It seems that there's so much turmoil, of course, uh, red states versus blue states, all the political upheaval, social upheaval. Certainly we hear that uh, belief in Christianity, belief in God is going out the door, uh, belief in the ways of God are going out the door, and uh, belief in the Bible as the, the Word of God is going out the door. Uh, and even the ways of God are not only being rejected, but declared to be hateful. I don't know about you, but I, I hear some of that stuff sometimes, and I can really get discouraged, but I, I'm hoping that what we've seen in today's passage will encourage us uh, not to fall for that. And for one thing, and this is just my opinion here, but I'm not so sure that real Christian faith has declined in America at all. And I'm really old, so I can go back you know, and look at lots of uh, prior history and just sort of see how it uh, was when I was younger and all that. But I think what is happening is nominal Christianity is going out the door. Nominal Christianity is going out the door. There used to be lots of people that I knew even who would say they were Christian. Why? Well, because they're Americans. And they're not Muslims and they're not Buddhists or anything like that. So I, what else is left but Christians, right? So I guess I'm Christian. Um, Lots of people would think and behave and act and talk that way. Now, they never went to church. They never read the Bible. They never prayed, except on occasions like when they had a big exam coming up or maybe they had lost their job or they were praying that God wouldn't let their wife find out about their affair. So things like that would happen, but that was about it as far as their religiosity. That's far less common, I think, today. And I think we can thank God for it because it seems to me that what really is going on is it's far easier to tell people who are truly Christians from those who aren't. And no one's pretending too much anymore because it's not very popular. Anyhow, that's just my guess how I see it. So I wouldn't be too discouraged about all that. I think the church is doing pretty well, actually. And in any case, even if the trajectory is wrong, really our response needs to simply be to go to our king and ask him what he would have us to do about it. How is he wanting us to be part of what the kingdom of God is doing here? But in any case, Jesus' boldness here is an amazing thing, his moxie, if you will, and I hope it's encouraging to see that he said all this stuff and it has come true. It really has come true. So as we come close to wrapping up here, I want to ask a very simple question, and it's this. Do you see the tree? In other words, Jesus is claiming that the kingdom of God is like this tree, right? Starts off as a itty-bitty little mustard seed and then becomes this humongous tree that's the biggest one of all and people from all over come and rest in its branches. Do you see the tree or really do you see the kingdom? Do you see the kingdom or, or are you so overwhelmed by the darkness around us that you're missing it? I think all too often we get discouraged because we're not seeing what God's doing. So do you see the tree? That's a question you need to ask yourself on a regular basis. Am I seeing the tree? And if you're not, to do something about it. But there's darkness going on not only around us, but let's face it, 
we have all sorts of darkness going on in our own lives. Uh, we are struggling with the fact that we've lost a job, or we're struggling with some sort of uh, sickness that we're dealing with, cancer, um, struggling with uh, struggles in your marriage, struggling with uh, your singleness, struggling with uh, having been taken advantage of in a business deal. Uh, that on and on and on and on are just things I've heard recently. That can take the fun out of life. Uh, that darkness can come and obscure the kingdom if we focus on it. So how can we better see the tree uh, really is the question. And I basically think that's what uh, Jesus was trying to get at in one of the prior verses. Just before he got to these two kingdom parables, uh, he said this, the measure you, excuse me, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. In other words, to the degree you look to the kingdom, to the degree that you invest in it, the more you're going to see it, the more you're going to be enabled to see and experience the goodness and the blessings and the joy of the kingdom. So how do you do that? How do you see the tree, uh, basically, is the question. And I think there's sort of two categories that I would propose just very briefly of how to better see the kingdom and focus on that and be encouraged by that. And the first would be this, to simply fix your eyes on Jesus, to look to him. Even when you read the Bible, uh, sometimes we read the Bible and our main goal is to find out, well, what am I supposed to do? Now, that's certainly uh, an appropriate question, but really the more fundamental question is every time we go to the scriptures to find out what is it telling me about God? And the more we see him and the more we see how exalted and wonderful and great he is, how loving he is and merciful and forgiving towards us he is, uh, the more we're going to be blessed, the more we're going to enjoy him. Fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Secondly, to praise him and to thank him. So in other words, the more you see of Christ, uh, the more you should tell him how awesome he is for all those things you're finding out about him. And then to thank him. We, I, I particularly feel convicted about how I ask for things, and then I get those things because God gives them to me, and I don't think to say thank you. <laughs> I don't give him credit for the great things he's done in my life, and I rob myself, not only him, because I therefore miss the blessing that I've gotten from God's almighty hand. I've missed the kingdom, in other words, and what God's doing there. To pay attention, to pay attention to what God is doing around you, uh, what he's doing in this world in, in building his kingdom. Uh, all sorts of ways to do that. One very simple example is we have about uh, 13 people. Is it 13 people, Cheryl? Somebody tell me. Is it 13 people in India? 12, 13. 13. Um, 13 people of our own folks that are in India right now ministering in his name and seeing the kingdom grow and be built there. How awesome. Follow what they're doing. Forget the news for a while. And check out what's going on in, in India where the kingdom is being built and where people are being blessed. And uh, find out how God is working in the lives of those kids. When you see those kids and videos of them, you can't help but have your heart warmed and seeing what God's doing and how he's planting those churches through those pastors and such. It's awesome. But we also have gazillions of uh, ministries going on. Gazillions, I mean it. Gazillions of ministries going on. Brent's right up here on the front row, and he can tell you all about things we're doing in our community. We have needs for children's ministry here, life groups, on and on and on. There's so much. Pay attention to what God is doing around you and see what he's doing so that you can praise him. So not only look to the tree, 
Look for the kingdom. Look to see what God is doing in the kingdom. But get closer to it yourself. Here's what I mean by that. Get involved. Join in on these ministries. Don't, not only pay attention to what God is doing and see how he's blessing and all that. You get involved yourself. There's nothing like seeing God do something when you're really close up and like he's doing it through you. Uh, that is an awesome, awesome thing. And again, Brent's up here can tell you about a lot going on. Look around you. And by this, I mean, where are you going to be? Normally, I'd say 2.30 Tuesday. That's sort of my, to me, that's like the most mundane time of the week. You know, it's Tuesday. It's not even Monday. At least you got through Monday. You know that's bad. But Tuesday, you forget even how bad that is. It's not hump day yet, all that stuff. And then 2.30 in the afternoon, you know, you've had lunch. You're sleepy. You want to go to sleep, but you got to keep working. (sighs) And then Rick shows up. You know, it's just awful. And so uh, 2.30 Tuesday, but you're going to be celebrating the 4th of July uh, on Tuesday. So maybe this time we'll talk about Monday. What are you going to be doing tomorrow? Set your phone maybe even or whatever uh, to remind you when it's 2.30 and just look around where you are and ask, could the kingdom of God grow here? Of course it could. Whether it's your work, your family, your neighborhood, your school, whatever it is, The kingdom can grow right there as you sow the seed, as you ask God to work through you, as you do a good job, as you show integrity, as you just have the joy uh, and life and blessing that comes from being someone who has the kingdom working in them. And that gets to the last point, basically. Get closer to the tree by looking inside yourself. Is the kingdom growing in you? How much is Christ being formed in you? Are you growing closer to him or not. The closer you are to him, the more you're going to see what he's doing around you in the world and in you. So just to wrap up then, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus tells us something pretty special. He says, don't be afraid because the father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. He's given us this kingdom. Uh, Jesus is the king of it, but he's given it to us. It's ours too. We're part of it. And so however frustrating, however scary, however disappointing this world might be, your particular part of it or the world around you, whatever, remember this is not our ultimate home and that your reservation in the kingdom is secure. Your real home is coming. So while we are here, We have the privilege of bringing as much heaven down to earth as we can, as we've sung already. So let's trust him and ask him to help his kingdom to come through us. Let's pray.